This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Praise God. We are in the book of Mark today, continuing our series, and if you would just turn with me to Mark 1. Who's enjoying reading Mark's Gospel? Beyond the glare, I can see a few hands going up. There's at least five people that are quite excited about this already. But the year is still young, as Richard Gamble reminded us. Um, So there's time. What I'd like to do this morning is just start by reading chapter one and a little bit of chapter two. So we're going to read a chunk of scripture together. And then I just want to pick out three things from what we're going to read. So I'm just going to give you three things to take away. Is that all right? Three things to remember. Dead easy. Um, But I really believe this morning can be a significant time for us together in the Word of God if we're attentive and listening this morning. So I hope that you are and you're ready for the Word. Okay, so starting uh, chapter one, I'm reading from the ESV. Um, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went to Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that nothing, you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news that Jesus could no longer, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and the people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive but God alone. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, And go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Fantastic. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's more exciting than the best box set available on Sky right now. 
is the Gospel of Mark. It's fast-paced, it's breakneck, it's exciting. There's never a dull moment. And this morning, the title for this morning, next slide please, I want to pick out something. That If you can read that, it says, the time has come. The time has come. And I want to pick out three things that we've just read together. Three verses that I believe have significance for us this morning. And in our journey through Mark, our hope is that you will identify with Jesus. That you will get to know him. That the Holy Spirit will make him real to you. Not to be a figure of a story, but to be your best friend. To be the one who rescued you from darkness and set you on the path that he has already walked so that you will walk the path with him because he's with you. He's told us that this morning. These are the three things I want to pick out. First of all, from the first chapter, the very first couple of verses. And I'm going to read these from the New Living Translation. You won't hear me say this often. But the NLT really hits the nail on the head here. The NLT says this, just starting kind of um, halfway through the verse verse. It says, it began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Okay, so just keep that in in your brain. The next one is this, verse 15. I'm going to read this one from the NIV. This one says, this is Jesus um, coming into Galilee and, and starting his ministry in this, in this narrative. He says, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. And the third thing is this, in verse 18. It says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now I'm cheating a little bit on that last one because there's lots of immediately's. So the third thing I want to look at is all the immediately's that we've looked at. There's loads of them. There's about nine just in the first chapter alone. There's over 40 in the whole of the gospel. More than half that we see in the whole of the scriptures are in Mark. So there's something for us this morning in immediately. So let's start with the first one. First, in verse 1 and 2. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Everything in Jesus' life began with words that had been spoken over his life. Everything in Jesus' life began with words that had already been spoken over his life. Mark mentions the prophets here. Actually, we've got Malachi and Isaiah quoted in here. The important thing is not what Isaiah said. The important thing is that the prophets had already spoken over him before Jesus even arrived. Jesus never stepped outside the words of God over his life. And this morning, God has already told us about stepping outside or being in the centre of God's will for us. We have to be inside what God has spoken over our lives because although Jesus, his life had had words spoken over him, you know what? God's spoken words over our lives as well. We are like him in that way. Before you even arrived on this planet, words had been spoken over your life. Did you know that? And it may have been many years before you even knew him and knew that these words had been spoken But these words are eternal words that have been spoken from eternity past over your life that was yet to come. That's exciting, folks. That plans had been made about your life. And as we were reminded this morning, that each one of us, God has a specific purpose for you. Specific, unique to you. And those words have been spoken over our lives. 
For Jesus, those words were a springboard into action. When we read through the Gospels, everything he did, the Gospel writers take trouble to tell us as it was written in the Scriptures. It wasn't that Jesus was walking around with the Torah in front of him or with, or with, the, with the Old Testament and saying, oh, okay, where am I at now? But Jesus knew the word. And do you know what? Jesus knew the words that were spoken over him and knew all the things that he would do. He never stepped outside of those words. But he always did just what he saw the father doing. And do you know what the father was doing? The father was saying, son, this is the situation I've talked about. These are the things I've said over your life. And Jesus just walked in that, and amazing things happened. For him, those words were his foundation, his security, his solid ground. Whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm going, I'm standing on what God has said over my life. You know, there's a bit in here where Jesus has to go out into a boat on the lakeside to preach to the people because they were crowding around him. It must have been as if he was going to fall into the water because they were pushing at him and said, guys, get me the boat. I'm going to go out in the boat and preach from the boat. Can you imagine what it's like standing in a rowing boat trying to preach? Can you imagine that? They're not known to be stable things. They'll rock about. But you know, Jesus' stability didn't come from the ground he was standing on, but from the words he was standing on. So wherever he went, he was secure in what God had spoken over his life. The other thing it says here is, it began just as, just as the prophet had written. You know, God will do things just as he said he will. Sometimes we don't understand how he's going to do it, but we know he's going to do it. And when it happens, we can say, he did it just like he said he would do it. And I didn't understand how he was going to do it, but it doesn't matter because all that matters is the outcome. All that matters is that God is going to do it. And there are many words that have been spoken over you as an individual and over us as a people. And your natural mind will look at them and say, how on earth is that going to happen? But we needn't concern ourselves with that. The first priority is to accept that it will happen. Just as God said. And we need to have that certainty when we come to the words that have been spoken over us. You see, Jesus saw the Old Testament scriptures. He saw all the things that had been said about him, but he could see himself in the word. He could see himself in the word. Now, we could all sit here and say, well, that's easy for him, isn't it? Because it was kind of written about him. He's the star. You know, he's the main attraction. So it's easy to see how Jesus could look at the scriptures and say, well, of course it's all about me. Well, do you know what? This word is not just about Jesus. Do you know, when you came into Christ, this word became about you. God has written words in here about you because you're in Christ. This is a letter from God to you, a full and complete expression of his heart in which he tells you the hopes and dreams that he has for you and speaks words over you. So that you can look at the word and read and say, here I am. This is me. Jesus said, all these things I've begun to do, you will continue to do. And they've not reached a zenith. They've not reached a peak. But they're going to go on to greater things. I've only got so far. I came to do what I did. 
But now it's over to you. And the greater things are yours to do and not mine. That's what the Lord says. Over you. Not over everybody else in the room, but you specifically. And you specifically and you specifically. To each one of us, God has said, these greater things you will do. So when we read the word, what we need to do is to say, that's me. And then imagine yourself doing those things. Can you imagine praying for people and, and for the deaf to hear, for the blind to see, for the sick to be healed, for the dead to be raised? Can you imagine yourself laying hands and doing all those things? God has spoken those things over you. And folks, it's time to shake off our own image of ourselves and start looking at the word, which is the mirror, telling you who you are now that you're in Christ. And until we start to do that, we will always be limited by our own imagination, our own experience, and in some cases, our own practical thoughts on what we can really achieve with our little lives. Jesus saw the word spoken over himself. And that's all he moved in. You know, in in Luke, in chapter 7, in verses 20 and 22, 20 to 22, um, John the Baptist's uh, disciples come to Jesus and and they want to question him, say, look, are you really the one? Are you the one? And he said, look, what do you see? And he lists about six things, which are all things that Isaiah had seen, about the dead being raised, about the lame being healed, eyes being opened. And he said, look, you're seeing all these things. This is what I do. This is how you know it's me. It'd be good to read those verses when you're on your own with the Lord and say, Lord, that's what you've called me to do. And that's not just Jesus you've spoken those words over in Isaiah, but you've spoken them over me. They're mine. And I'm going to see myself doing those things. Paul urged Timothy, his protege. He said, Timothy, all of the prophetic words that have been spoken over you, you need to wage war with them. You need to wage war with them. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that words have been spoken over Timothy and that someone was going to oppose those words. That they put Timothy into a war, into a battle, into a situation where there is an enemy that will oppose the fulfillment of God's word. Every word that's been spoken over your life, the enemy has made note of that, has recorded it, and has made it his mission to stop you walking in it. So this isn't a passive thing that we can wait to come to us. We have to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of us. But you know what, folks? You've got to fight for it. It's not going to come easy. You've got to fight for it and wage war with the words that have been spoken over you. One of the things that's always been um, a, a great example to me is that over the years I've noticed my brother and friend David has faithfully recorded every single prophetic word spoken over him in every situation. And I've been in lots of those situations. He's faithfully chased up every word. If he wasn't able to write it down, he's gone to ask other people. He's gone to find a recording and written it all down. And in conversation, we've talked about the words that have been spoken. And I've been struck with just how faithful David has been with the word over his life. David is not a special case. He's not more important than any of us in this room. God has spoken 
equally important words over our lives. And the question we should ask ourselves is, what have we done with those words? Have we written them down? Have we remembered them? Did we remember them for a short period and then let them fall to the ground? What value have we placed on the prophetic word that's been spoken over our life? Because that was God's provision for you to wage warfare and to step into all that God has got for you. We have to fight the fight. And we have to realize that we make a difference because the words that God has spoken over your life in this and where the prophetic word has come verbally to you, those words are unique to you. You bring something that is unique to the purposes of God, something individual. You know, this year we have, as I like to call it, 4G, which is the, that's the top speed now, is that right? 4G, that's the maximum you can get. We're not at 5G yet, are we? No, okay. I have been putting in a pitch, I've got to be honest with you, for 5G, um, because as, as most of you know, we've, if you're here on Wednesday, we're going to have our second momentum this summer. I'd like to call it Gomentum, just to go with the G theme. I've got to be honest with you, it didn't meet with a warm reception. In fact, Mike, Mike said he wouldn't even come if we called it Gomentum, so... So, but that would have made us 5G, which I, I quite like the idea of. We've said to you, gather like you make a difference. When we come together, we make a difference in the heavenlies. Amen. But when we come together, you make a difference by being there. Adam, when you come into this gathering, you make a difference. If he's not here, something is missing. That's why the writer to the Hebrew says, don't give up your meeting together. Do you know the way that you see that is is not a self-inflated, important view of yourself. It's nothing to do with that. It's actually understanding the words that have been spoken over you, seeing yourself in situations where you're going to do things, and then being in those situations where you're going to do them. So whenever you come together, whether it's just two of you in a coffee shop, whether it's a few of you in a home, or whether it's all of us together, gather like you make a difference. You make a difference. Be here. Be ready. Be armed with the words that have been spoken over your life. And then move in them. Amen? Amen? So the first thing is begin from the word. Let the word, the prophetic word and the written word, be your springboard, your jumping off point for everything that you do. Let the word be your path in life. So you know where to go so that you're not aimless. Because you know where God's sending you. You know what God's spoken over you. You know where you should be and what you should be doing. And the word is clear so that none of us should have any doubts about that. And the second thing I want to say is this. See the moment. See the moment. Jesus said the time has come. He didn't say a time has come. He said the time has come. Now Jesus wasn't talking about a specific moment, 10 to 12 on a Sunday. The time has come, folks, and a clock strikes in the background. He was saying, the time has come. A specific time. Because Jesus recognized when a moment was upon him. Did you know that? Jesus could see when a particular moment was upon him in life. And he saw the time. God's time. One of the other G's we have here is go like there's no tomorrow. Do you know what? There is no tomorrow. 
There's only today. In the moment, all you have is today. Tomorrow's coming. But if you spend today thinking about tomorrow, you'll miss what's for today. If you spend today reminiscing about yesterday and how great it was, you'll miss the greater things that God has planned for you today. Tomorrow's coming, folks, and when it gets here, it'll be today. Then it'll be the time. But until it gets here, we needn't concern ourselves with it. Our first priority is today. The time has come. So we need to go like there's no tomorrow, for there is only always and ever today. There's no yesterday, no tomorrow, today. You see, for God, time is not quantitative. There's no magic time. There's no magic day like a Sunday. There's no magic time like 7.30, Christian meeting time. For God, time is qualitative. God measures time in terms of fullness, in terms of rightness. So when God says, the time has come, he doesn't mean a particular point in the day. He means everything is now right for this to happen. And the word that Jesus uses here, the word that, that Mark has recorded, is a word, a Greek word, kairos. It's not chronos, which marks this kind of time. It's kairos. And it means the decisive God-appointed time. It means a pregnant moment when everything is ready to go. And God says, now. And you know the wonderful thing about Jesus is he could see that moment. Every situation he went into, he saw when the time was now. I believe Jesus said it all the time. He'd be with his disciples and they'd be doing something and something would happen and Jesus would say, Jesus would say to his disciples, now's the time, brothers. Now's the time. Time for what? I'm going to tell you. Every encounter that Jesus had, he knew when was the right time and what to do in it. This, this word kairos, Paul uses it in Galatians, when he says, when the time had reached its fullness, the Father sent the Son. You see, sometimes we can't see how a prophetic word's going to be worked out. If you look at Jesus' birth, there were so many things that had to happen. And do you know what? They all happened, bang, 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 in a really short space of time. Because the Father said, now's the time. Now's the time for me to break into human history and for my son to be born. Not earlier, not later, now's the time. And because Jesus could see that moment in every day, do you know how he did it? You know how he saw the moment? I believe the key for us is the fact that he spent time with his father. Yeah, you know, one thing that I notice in this account that we've just read, these different um, things that happen is that Jesus retreated and was found spending time with his father. And I believe in those moments, he was talking to his father about what he had to do. And his father was telling him the words that he'd spoken over him. And because he knew those words, that they were resonating in his heart, every situation he arrived at, he'd already seen himself doing what he was going to do. I'm not saying Jesus had premonitions, by the way. I'm saying that Jesus knew the words spoken over his life so that every situation, he would look around and things were happening and say, ah, this is when I do this because I've already seen it in the word. I've already seen this happen. That's how Jesus did what he did. He did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. He did everything that you and I can do. 
And I believe it's because he spent time with his father and knew what was coming. And it also meant that every situation needed something different. You know, we've read here four different people that needed Jesus. The first one was the leper. Jesus needed to move. I beg your pardon. The first one was the demon-possessed man. Jesus needed to move in authority. That's what was needed. He needed to move in authority, and Jesus had already seen himself doing that. The second one was Peter's mother-in-law. Do you know, her problem was not that she had a, a fever. Her problem was that people had descended on her house, and she needed to look after them. Like a good Jewish mother, she wanted to be up and fussing after them. What she needed was Jesus to heal her so she could do that. And then we've got the leper. Do you know what he needed? Was He was an outcast because of his disease. He'd been ostracised. What he needed was to be made clean again so he could come back into the community. And Jesus had compassion on him. He needed to have compassion in that situation. He didn't need to move in the same authority. It was compassion he needed to have. And do you notice what happened with the leper and with Jesus, is they actually made an exchange. You see, the leper couldn't mix with people, was ostracized from the towns and villages where Jesus was. And Jesus took the leprosy from him and said, don't tell people about me. But of course he did, because he was so overwhelmed. And when he told people what Jesus had done, word spread, and then Jesus couldn't go into the towns. So actually... In taking the leprosy from the man, Jesus was giving up some of his freedom. It cost him to do that. But in each situation, Jesus knew what was needed. And the paralytic. You know, so often we focus on the fact that this paralytic was healed, took up his bed and walked home, which is wonderful. But do you know, that's not the first thing that happened to him. You remember what we just read? He was forgiven. You see, Jesus wasn't immediately distracted by that. Jesus saw that the man needed forgiveness. He discerned the faith in him and his companions that they were looking to Jesus at all they needed. And first and foremost, they needed forgiving. Now, Jesus didn't let him walk away without being healed. But you can see in each situation, Jesus is looking at the situation and seeing what's right for the moment. Jesus didn't... In his ministry, it wasn't just a scattergun approach. It wasn't just, yeah, doing everything all at the same time. It was focused. And he knew what what was right for each occasion. The time is now. The time is now. I believe that in faith, you can see yourself in situations before you even get into them. You may not see specifics. You may not see specific days or specific people. But you will envisage situations so that when you arrive, it is no surprise to you. I've been preparing for this. I've been seeing myself moving just as Jesus said I would. And those words are now my foundation and now I'm going to move. Amen. I believe it. And I believe all of us can be like that. All of us can have that as our experience. If you just turn with me across, across to Mark 4. I just want to very briefly read to you just this scripture. 
This is about the parable of the seed growing, and this is about timing, by the way. So Mark 4, verse 26, Jesus said to them, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, when the grain is ripe, at once, that's that word immediately, he puts, the blade, puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. See what Jesus is saying there? He says the farmer doesn't understand how it happens. Well, I never met a farmer who didn't understand how seed grows. The point is the farmer is not concerned with the mechanics of the process. The farmer's focused on the outcome. Sometimes we get so focused on the mechanics of how God's going to work in this situation, how I'm going to fit into it, that we forget the outcome. And all you need to do is look at the outcome. Peter walked on water because he was focused on the outcome, which was Jesus walking on water. I'm going to do what you're doing. And then as he looked down, he thought, how am I doing this? I'm not doing this. And then started to sink. We need to be focused on the outcome. And then we will know when the time is ready. In every situation, whatever we find ourselves, we'll know what's right for that situation. And we'll be able to move. And that brings us to our last point. I want to look at this word immediately. Immediately. The third thing I want to tell you is we need to keep a straight path. So we need to begin from the word. That always needs to be our springboard into action. We need to see the moment, what's right in each situation, and to see it before we get there so that we can recognize when that harvest is ready in each situation and then move, the third point, immediately. This last point, keep a straight path. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. This whole narrative, all the way through Mark, but what we've read, is so fast-paced. You could be forgiven for thinking, in Mark's opinion, Jesus is a little bit hyperactive. You know, because it's kind of, we went here, then we had a meal, then immediately we did this, and then I prayed for someone, and then immediately went to that person's house, and then immediately I left the meeting straight, straight away, and then immediately this guy came up to me. Jesus was not hyperactive, this wasn't an episode of 24, you know, with Jesus running around saying, Peter, we're running out of time. We've got to get on with things. It wasn't like that. So we could be forgiven for thinking when we see the word immediately this, immediately that, that we think of it in the way we do, immediately. Now, 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 now. That's not what it means at all. The word that Mark uses is a Greek word. It's euthios. E-U-T-H-E-O-S. Euthios. And it actually derives from a word we've seen already in here, which is right at the beginning, verse 3. It derives from another Greek word, which is euthos. That's the root word. Verse 3. What does John the Baptist do? He makes Jesus' path straight. It's the word straight. And a definition of this word euthos is this. Properly, straight, Without unnecessary zigzags or detours, it means upright, not crooked or bent, in terms of integrity. Figuratively, it means without delay, acting immediately or straight away. 
Here's a, here's a better definition. Taking a direct path from God's point A to God's point B. Taking a direct path from God's point A to God's point B. Which un- avoids unnecessary delays or deviations. That's what Jesus was doing. He wasn't running around like Jack Bauer because he was running out of time. What he was doing was he was doing everything without deviating. He was singular in his focus. You know, the songs that we sang, I think the last song we sang this morning about giving our all to him, it's about being singular in focus. And, and today, we are sometimes just overwhelmed with things like this. TVs on, laptops on, people talking, all sorts of things going on. And I think sometimes it robs us of the ability to have a singular focus. Full lives. You talk to people in your workplaces, a full life is a busy life. That's what it means. Oh, we're so busy. That's great, isn't it, that we're so busy? Yeah, it's, it's great. We've got, our lives are so full, we've got so much to do. You know, it's hard to choose sometimes what to do. But that doesn't mean a full life at all. God measures qualitatively, not quantitatively. It's the quality of our life that makes a difference. And this idea of going immediately or going in a straight path without being deviated, you know, the best example we have is the nation of Israel. 40 years. Does anyone know how long it should have taken them? 11 days. It says at the beginning of Deuteronomy. The shortest path would have taken 11 days. It's the mother of all deviations. <laughs> 40 years. You think you've gone wrong on a journey before. 40 years? That's hard to do, isn't it? Do you know what the grace of God is that they made it there at all? Because of their hard-heartedness. And it was 40 years for a particular purpose, as we know, so that a generation would die out. Jesus didn't act prematurely in any situation, folks. He didn't jump the gun. He just acted when he needed to. And when he saw the moment, he then acted without delay. And that's the key for us. If we can see the moment when God is moving and what to do in that moment, then we need to move straight away. Then we need to not get distracted by other things. We need to be fully committed to the moment so that when the moment's upon us, we don't miss it because we're distracted with other things. And you know what? Sometimes we are all guilty of this. We're not giving ourselves to the moment. But we say, well, I'm going to give God kind of 80%, but I've got my family to think about and I've got my job to think about. That promotion is not going to earn itself, you know. Well, guess what? I have a job. I have a family. I have children. I understand those things. They're all demanding time from us. They're all demanding blood, sweat, and tears. But Jesus made me a promise. He spoke words over my life that if I put him first, he'll take care of all of that. He didn't say, put me first and neglect everything else. He said, put me first and trust me with everything else. And I'll make sure you get that promotion. I'll make sure you prosper where you are. I'll make sure that your children are well-adjusted and healthy and strong. I'll make sure there's food in your stomach and a roof over your head. But put me first. Give yourself fully so that when the moment is upon you and you see it, 
I can use you in the way I've said I'm going to use you. We just need to be fully committed, folks. If we're fully committed like Jesus, if we don't hold ourselves back and hold some in reserve, then amazing things will happen. And God has spoken to us today about wondrous deeds. Miracles. You know, miracles don't happen for half-hearted people. They happen for people that are committed. And I'm not talking about the number of hours. It's not quantitative. It's qualitative. It's not about how many hours you spend in prayer or how many hours you spend serving as a life group leader or whatever it is that you do for the Lord. It's a state of heart about saying, Lord, I'm holding nothing back. There's a, li- a great story I just want to finish with, um, which is from a film called Gattaca. Has anyone watched the film called Gattaca? It's, it is truly forgetful. <laughs> Sorry, forgettable. I've got one person seen the film Gattaca. Okay, well, I have a recommendation. Watch it. It was, I think it was 1997 or so, it was quite a long time ago, but it was this futuristic film. It was a flop at the box office, but it was about the future about where children uh, become genetically engineered. And those that are genetically engineered to have no physical flaws whatsoever get all the best jobs in society. And there's a family with two boys, an older boy, Vincent, and a younger boy, um, who was uh, Anton. And the older boy was born naturally and therefore had, you know, physical flaws like anybody would, genetic defects. But the younger son, the parents paid for genetic screening so that the younger son was physically, mentally superior in every way. And these boys grew up in competition with one another, in really fierce competition. And um, they used to have this game that they would play. And Vincent, the older boy, knew he was imperfect and always felt that that was going against him. He'd never succeed in society. Anton was destined for great things. And one of the competitions, one of the little games they used to have, was that they would swim in the ocean. And they would swim away from shore as far as they could. And the winner was the person who, or should I say the loser, was the person who turned back first. So every mile that they swam away from the shore, they knew it was a mile they were going to have to swim back. And every single time, Anton, who was the stronger swimmer, would swim and swim and swim. And Vincent, who was the weaker swimmer, would give up and he would lose. And Anton would hold it over his head. Until one day. One day, Vincent won. And Anton turned back first. And he never, ever got over that. Because for Anton, everything about him was wrapped up in the fact he was superior. And it caused such a rift between these two brothers that they just went their separate ways. And many, many years later, in this film, they meet each other again by chance. And they start talking about their childhood. And Anton, who has always never forgiven Vincent for being beaten by him, says, let's try it one more time. So these these are now middle-aged men. They strip off on the beach, and they start swimming across the ocean. And it's a stormy night, and they're swimming, and they're swimming... And the younger brother, the superior brother, Anton starts to get tired, and Vincent's still going. And he says, he says Vincent, we, we've got to turn back. And, and Vincent says, maybe it's closer to the, near, to the other shore now. Maybe it's closer now to the other side. And Anton, who can't see through the mist, says, no, let, let's turn back now. 
So he starts to turn back, but Vincent keeps going. And then Anton stops and he shouts to him and says, Vincent, Vincent. He said, how are you doing this? How are you doing? How are you beating me? Because you're inferior to me. So Vincent stops swimming and they're shouting at each other now from a pool length away. And Vincent says, you, you want to know how I did it then? Do you want to know how I beat you then and how I beat you now? This is how I did it. I never saved anything for the journey back. I never saved anything for the swim back. And that's how he beat his brother. He swam and swam and never saved anything for the return journey. But Anton was always saving fuel in the tank for the way back. And that's how we beat him. Now that's a long story, I know. But for me, the lesson I took from that is that we should give like we're never going to run out. Give like you're never going to run out. Don't hold anything back. Don't hold some in the tank. But give like you've never given before to the Lord. And amazing things will happen. There was a great picture, um, a little cartoon going around the internet, uh, well, on Facebook this week, which I'm sure many people saw, which was one of these cartoons, top and bottom. And on the top, there's Peter, and he's sitting um, in this little office, and there's a guy behind a desk, and he says, there we go, Peter, there's your business cards that have arrived, and gives him a package, and it's got Peter the fisherman business card. And then in the bottom panel, Jesus is walking up to Peter saying, Peter, come follow me. So he's had all these business cards printed in the morning, and then Jesus comes in the afternoon and tells him, and do you know Peter's response was that he dropped his net and he walked away. There are lots of things that we've put lots of time and effort into, folks, all of us individually, but Jesus will say to you, drop that, come with me. Drop it, come with me. And we need to be singular in focus. And when that moment is upon us, we need to respond and we need to drop the net and walk away. We need to be fully committed. I believe the time has come. The time has come for action, folks. And this year, I want to challenge you to spend time with the Lord Ask the Holy Spirit to remind you the things that he's spoken over you. Ask him to show you afresh the things that he's spoken over your life. See yourselves as God sees you. See the situations that God wants to send you into and the things he's already said that you will do. And when that moment comes, be ready to move immediately. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.